Hey, we're back with another Tech Spy, the like from Clelo.com. Doug Maurice, your host, along with you. We brought it back two weeks ago. We did not get it up last week. We're, we're going to get back into a flow. I'm not in the flow. I'm not. It's camp. You're busy. People are still going on vacation. Uh, we're getting in the flow. So I've been busy at Browns camp some days. Ohio State camp has started. Been there some days. Um, going to be going back and forth a lot this season, covering a lot of football. It's going to make for a good fall, but uh, it's going to make for a busy podcast schedule because you guys, of course, can listen to our weekly Buckeye Talk show as well, which comes out every Wednesday. I think I'd like this Takes by the Lake, if we can, to come out every Tuesday. So we're trying to drop this late Tuesday night, and we're going to talk about a couple things this week. The We're going to start bringing in some more outside guests, but the main, the main goal this week is previewing the Thursday preseason game. Um, so we have Kareem Copeland from the Washington Post, who is the Washington Redskins writer there. So we brought him in to talk about mostly about Dwayne Haskins, the former Ohio State quarterback who was the number one draft pick by the Redskins. So um, I think it's an interesting discussion because, you know, there's some Ohio State stuff in there, but it's just another team going through the transition to a young franchise quarterback. They're a year behind the Browns. It's the 15th pick instead of the first pick, but... You know, they're trying to figure it out. They have two veterans there in Case Keenum and Colt McCoy, um, who are ahead of Dwayne Haskins right now in the depth chart. But I think it's an interesting conversation, A, if you care about Ohio State at all, because Kareem is going to inform you. We talked a lot about, I put him on the spot at the end about, like, what do you think this season is going to go like for Dwayne Haskins? What do you think Dwayne Haskins' career is going to go like? Which is, of course, a crazy thing to ask a couple weeks into camp. But it's a good discussion for Thursday night when the Browns host the Redskins. To open the preseason, then we have Jake Burns back talking about what we're going to watch the most on Thursday night when we look at the Browns and and what we're going to really dig into. So we did that, did that, uh, recorded that Monday after practice. So um, you know, stuff changes a bit. Eric Cush had another day of practice on Tuesday. It looks like he might be solidifying that right guard spot. We talked a lot about the right guard, the uh, right guard spot because it's crazy. But there's something else I want to talk about briefly before we get to this Browns discussion. And that's, um, I, I talked to some people. I was maybe going to write about this. I think it turns out I'm not going to write about it. Because I think I was ranting into the wind. I was ranting into the void a bit. And I would like to be here to defend Cleveland uh, and Cleveland sports fans when I feel like they need to be defended. Um, but I don't want to like be offended on your behalf if you're cool with it so so like I'm very quick to being offended um and so when I read David Griffin's comments and people were talking about this the Sports Illustrated story from last week where the former GM of the Cavs was talking about how hard it was to be the GM of the Cavs while bringing Cleveland its first championship in half a century um I got offended on behalf of Cleveland fans. And then I talked to some people who just thought, well, I don't I don't I don't know if that's what people are really thinking. So I don't know if you need to pop off, Doug. Um so I'm not gonna pop off in print. The written word still holds uh, some value, I think, that when you see it in writing. Um one time when I was a young reporter, I wrote the word shut up in a story. Kind of like offhandedly. It wasn't I was sort of like talking about a person Writing about a person, I was like, they just should shut up. And and somebody um, who had been around a long time and worked in PR for a team like called me and said, like, that word in writing carries more weight than when you just sort of say it off the cuff. Um, 
And it was a lesson to me that the written word still carries value. And podcast, you could just say whatever you want. <laughs> so, so like, I don't really, yeah, I can pop off. So I'm going to pop off briefly before we get to the Browns. So David Griffin was talking about how, how difficult it was personally um, to get through the cab seasons. All the pressure. He's had the, the quote, I was miserable, talking about winning that championship with the Browns. And you certainly get a sense that part of it is the way Dan Gilbert ran things. He's, uh, Dan, uh, David Griffin said it was inorganic and unsustainable. And, and I get it. It's a difficult thing. But he talked a lot about the pressure um, that just came with the expectations and came with LeBron. And my initial response to that was, I'm sorry you were burdened with the best basketball player ever. What a terrible thing it must be to be so good and have so much talent that people think you're going to break a city's half-century curse. I'm sorry that was difficult. Would you like to go 41 and 41 and have a better peace of mind about that? Because expectations are not a burden. And I would like this to be a lesson for the Browns. And I hope they're not thinking this way. Expectations are a privilege. Pressure is not a burden. Pressure is a privilege. And if you have any question about that, ask the GMs and coaches and managers and players and fans in Cleveland who for 50 years... We're trying to win something. Now, there were some teams that came close, and they probably felt pressure. But you know what? I think they probably felt more pressure falling short than they did winning it. And I think they probably would have loved the chance at pressure when they were busy stinking. So I'm sorry if I'm not sympathetic to the pressure and the expectations that come with greatness. And I know every GM in the world wants to be a fantasy league GM. And they want to start with a blank slate. And they want to be able to build a team from scratch because it's all it's it's a version of fantasy sports to them. They want to draft their own team. So I'm sorry that LeBron dropped in your lap. But that's a privilege. And I cannot live in a world where that's accepted as a burden. And if you're miserable, that's on you. If you can't be happy with success and you can't be happy with greatness, there's a lot of people showing up at these games, at Cavs games and Browns games and Indians games and Ohio State games, who feel pressure, who are miserable at work, who don't like their jobs. And the last thing that I think, and maybe again, maybe I'm being offended on your behalf when you're not offended. But I'm not really here to worry about how miserable a rich guy with the ring was while he was winning Cleveland's first championship in 52 years. If you're miserable in that process, you need to find a way to be happy. And if what makes you happy is to go to the New Orleans Pelicans and draft the whole team from scratch, I'm sorry. Thank goodness Anthony Davis wasn't there. Can you imagine how miserable David Griffin would have been if he had had to actually keep Anthony Davis? He must have been ecstatic to get away, get to trade away a generational talent for a bunch of draft picks and young guys and build a team like it's a fantasy team. It bothers me. And if you're not bothered, I apologize. You can fast forward to the Browns part. But the idea that this championship that finally happened for Cleveland, 
We had a miserable general manager. He had a miserable shooting guard who made the shot. He was unhappy. I don't think LeBron was unhappy in the moment. He got ready to move on after the fact. But you know what this all goes back to, too? You know why you love J.R. Smith? Because you know who wasn't miserable winning Cleveland's first title in 52 years? The guy who took his shirt off to celebrate it. And J.R. has faults. But sometimes you want to be able as a fan to believe that the people doing the winning are as happy about it as you are. And they're not just cashing a check. And they're not just looking at what's next. And they're not just burdened by expectations. Because those expectations are put on you by fans and by media, but mostly by talent. So treat it as a... I hope the Browns treat this. It will... I was going to say break my heart. It won't break my heart. It will cause me to write this down and not just pop off on a podcast. If the Browns, after what they've been through and what they've put fans through, if we reach a point where the Browns feel burdened by being good, I'm going to freak out. Because I hope Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey and Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. and Jimmy and D. Haslam, I hope they view the expectations that are now on this team the way they should be viewed. As a privilege, as an honor, as a nod to the talent and the possibility that is there. And if you view that as a burden, then go find somewhere to go 6-10 and 10 or 41-41 and 41 or whatever sport you're in or whatever you have to do to live in a world where you're not chasing a championship because apparently chasing a championship and then finally winning it, and I don't care what the circumstances are. This applies to Nick Saban in Alabama holding up the national championship trophy. By the time he brings it back down to eye level, he looks like he's miserable because he's thinking about who he has to recruit next. You know who enjoyed a championship? Your fans. And if you couldn't enjoy it, that's on you. Let's get to Kareem Copeland talking about Dwayne Haskins, and we'll get to Jake Burns talking about the Browns. We appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode of the comeback of Takes by the Lake. So lucky to be joined by Kareem Copeland with the Washington Post, the Redskins beat writer there. Kareem, how long have you been covering the Redskins? Uh, this will be my second season coming up. I started um, just before combine time. Um, I guess that would have been before the 2018 season, so um, almost two years. Okay, so so well, two here years we are. in February, I suppose. <laughs> here we are in this world, and and Cleveland Browns fans have been waiting for a franchise quarterback. And they ha- they feel like they have one here in Baker Mayfield. W- what is it like in Washington when the draft happened and what it's been like in camp? How would you describe the anticipation from Redskins fans about Dwayne Haskins? Um, I mean, the optimism is sky high. There's no question about that. You know, it was um, everybody knew that they needed a quarterback. And I mean, even I've been of the thinking that even if Alex Smith hadn't have gotten hurt, it was time for them to start looking uh, towards his eventual successor. And it seems like that has kind of gotten pushed up with um, the brutal broken leg that he's had. So the thing was, I personally, I didn't think Haskins was going to make it to 15. And I don't think a lot of Redskins fans um, thought so either. I, I think there was some hope there. Hey, we might get lucky in these slides. And, 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 you know, there was some talk about it before the draft. 
but I don't know. Um, I just don't know that people really thought he would get down that far. Um, you knew that after a certain point that, um, you know, he'd start to slide after the quarterback hungry teams were gone, but uh, there were still a couple there. Um, I think right around like 12, 13 that, that, that had people worried. Uh, but all of a sudden he was there and everybody's thrilled about it. Now he's a rookie and he's, he's definitely um, got some growing pains to go through. Uh, he's learning a new system and that's going to take some time. And, um, it's highly unlikely that he's the starter from day one, but um, they're they're optimistic about the long term future. The only question is, when does that long term future show up? Is it is it early in this season? Does it do we get halfway through or late into the seasons? Um, that's what everybody's curious about: is when does it happen? I know. I guess he's he's what third on the preliminary depth chart behind Colt McCoy and Case Keenum. It is. Is how do you expect it to shake out in this preseason game? And the reason we're sort of talking about this is because the Redskins and you guys are coming. You'll be here on on Thursday night to see the Redskins play the Browns. How much do you expect that Dwayne Haskins is going to play in this first preseason game? Will he get a lot of action? You think in the second half as maybe the third guy in the depth chart because they really want to get a look at him, or are they more interested in really seeing how the two veteran guys battle it out to start? Well, this is the sneaky part: is that. Uh, Jay Gruden told us yesterday um, all three might not even play. They haven't, he hasn't oh, made really? a decision on what the rotation will be. You know, so in practice they've been split it up as as best as they could as they can, and really the two veterans have gotten I would say the majority of first team snaps at this point. They've, they've kept it pretty close between Colt uh, Colt McCoy and Case Keenum as far as getting first team reps. And, and Haskins has gotten some, but I would say those two have gotten the majority of them. And okay. so going through um, all of this evaluation, um, which is you know going to include obviously these preseason games. The question is, so can a guy really get in a flow if you're trying to work three guys in into a single game? Right. It's better to give you know one guy a half, or and the other guy a half, or maybe uh, one guy an entire quarter. You know, divvy up the quarters one way or another. Um, I think that's what I, I mean. I flat out asked Jay about it because that was my curious. You know, that was my question. Um, you know, you don't have to play all three in every game. You know, if you you know you give one one uh, uh, give each a couple series. You know, it gets really kind of herky-jerky and choppy. And so um, I'm not sure. The decision is supposed to be made tomorrow and Wednesday. Uh, We asked Dwayne about it today. He's like, hey, I have no idea we're supposed to talk tomorrow about it. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. If he plays, I think we see um, a good amount of him. I'm just not sure which of the three um, or if all three will play. Uh, but I think they want to give um, whoever it is, whatever two guys absolutely get in, um, you know, the chance to get a little bit of a flow. And, and um, they've they've had a choppy offensive line so far with Trent Williams gone. So um, I, I think they just want to give whoever the two guys are some time. Um, and, and, and it's not a final decision, so it could change. And, but the way that practices have going – have been going that wouldn't be a surprise to me again just because it's and we talked to Case Keenum about it today it's it's hard to you know really get settled when 
you know, you're just switching out back and forth so much. So I think that might be something um, they think about, you know, play two this game, play two next game, play two the third, and, okay. and hopefully they'll have a better feeling of everything by that point. When you have watched them in these preseason practices, does he look like a rookie compared to the two veteran guys? And how does Dwayne stack up sort of in terms of arm talent and the ability to make throws? Would would you, if you walked in cold, would would someone look at the three of them and say, oh, yeah, that's the new guy. He's making new guy mistakes. This is the way I would put it. You look at Dwayne and you instantly say he is the most physically blessed guy on the team. He's got the best you know, he's got the strongest arm. He can make throws that the other two can't. But he's still processing everything that, um, that comes pre-snap as far as, you know, simply knowing all of the plays and, and being able to get out of the huddle and get people at the huddle quick because that's been a little bit of an issue, you know, getting up there and not having much uh, time on the clock left. Uh, you know, making those uh, adjustments at the line of scrimmage, making sure guys are in good protection, getting the ball out of your hand quick enough. Those are the things that you see and you're like, okay, he's a rookie. You look at Colt McCoy, now he's got all of that stuff down because he's been in here, he's been in the system for a while. He He's close to Jay. He's got all that part down. It's just Colt McCoy is a bit of a gunslinger. You know, he, he, he'll he throw it in tight windows and, and make some um, – Make some plays that you're like, okay, wow. But a couple plays later, he'll throw it into coverage and it'll be going the other way. So that's the, and that's really been the MO of Colts for quite some time. And and we've seen a lot of it uh, still in camp. Just he he makes a play, but then he makes a turnover. And and, and that's, um, this team is built to run the ball, play good defense, don't turn over the ball. When they turned last year, when they got out to a six and three record, it wasn't because Alex Smith was just lighting the world on fire. Um, they were playing great defense. Uh, Adrian Peterson found the fountain of youth, was running really well, and they weren't turn, turning over the ball. Once he left and, and they started working in new quarterbacks and the ball started getting turned over some more, that's when they went on that awful streak. And, and not to mention injuries and a whole bunch of other things. Now you look at Case Keenum, he's probably right in the middle. He's, he's still learning the system, but he's a veteran, so he kind of knows defenses and he knows um, overall what's going to do. There's just some little nuances that he's you know, got to adjust to. Uh, but at the same time, he hasn't hit as many big plays, but he also hasn't okay. had as many turnovers. So he's kind of I, – I, I see him – as the most consistent one of the group. And so if I was the one making, so that's why it's hard for me to pick which one is one, two between Colt and Case, because Colt has more upside as so far, as far as playmaking, but at the same time, he'll throw an interception quicker than Case. Case is a little bit more steady, but at the same time, you haven't gotten as many home runs out of him. Okay. So one thing you brought this up with Trent Williams, we know that Dwayne Haskins is not the most mobile guy in the world and in a world where a lot of NFL quarterbacks are better athletes and can move around and Patrick Mahomes and Carson Wentz and Baker Mayfield and all these guys have a little more to them than Dwayne does. How much does that factor into anything at all? Because I feel like if Dwayne's going to succeed, he's got to have a little time there's maybe some flux on the Washington offensive line. Is that a bad thing for Dwayne Haskins at the moment? 
Oh, it's absolutely a bad thing at the moment. It's a bad thing for all the quarterbacks okay. because uh, this is a pretty good defensive line that's been crushing this offensive line here in practices. But um, especially for Dwayne, who again, like all the things that I was just talking about, you know, he needs he needs he needs time um, because he's still processing things mentally, and guys are coming off the ball and blowing past that left side and and putting them in a really bad spot. And so that, that's that's something that I keep mentioning is is it is are you comfortable putting him out there with the issues that you have on the left side right now? Now, true, you know, every quarterback is going to have to deal with that stuff, but for your rookie franchise guy who's already, you know, still learning and still processing and still, you know, getting a grasp of everything, do you want to put something extra on his plate of having to deal with, um, you know, Miles Garrett coming off that backside when – um, when, quite frankly, your your tackles and left guard haven't been able to hold up. I mean, they've got guys, uh, they've got guys that they signed off the street two weeks ago that are um, in competition um, to win that starting job. Donald Penn, you know, if Trent doesn't come back, so that's the thing that I always think about is even if you decide um, that they're all even, and 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 even if Dwayne is the guy, do you feel comfortable putting him up there if you don't trust that offensive line? because then you put your guy in danger. All right, Kareem, I'm going to take two more very un- unfair questions here for you. And, and as a sports <laughs> writer, I know what it's like when people put you on the spot. Uh, the first one is, if you were in charge, having watched what you've watched so far in camp, if they said, Kareem, what should we do with the quarterbacks? What would you do in week one? And what do you think at the moment would be your plan for getting Dwayne Haskins on the field. In your opinion, should Dwayne Haskins start at some point this year? Would you be comfortable with him basically sitting out the whole year like Patrick Mahomes did as a rookie? How, what's the ideal Dwayne Haskins plan in your mind? Personally, I'm comfortable with sitting him for a year. Now, this is just my philosophy, and you know, I'm a little bit old school and, and remember when guys used to sit for a season or two um, before they get brought in. And But that's just my old school mentality. I think at some se- at some point this season, um, he'll be ready to start. But I also think there's a lot of other factors that go into it. If I was starting the season in week one, and this is just purely me, um, I kind of go with Case Keenum right now just because I think he's the safest of the group right now. And I know that doesn't um, get a whole lot of people excited talking about, hey, take the safe quarterback. But at the same time, this running back room is loaded and this defense has a chance to be really good. So I, I keep coming back to turnovers. Turnovers, I, I, you know, it's not it's it's not the sexy thing to talk about, but that's the, you know, games are won and lost off a of turnover, turnover margin. And so that's what concerns me most about Colts now case obviously like we said doesn't have doesn't have the whole system down but that's those are that's what would influence my decision um as a guy who is not an nfl coach (laughs) okay but at the same time i do think that Dwayne, at some point this season um will pick up things uh to the point where you feel comfortable putting him out there and that um you know you know he's got a high ceiling that can probably that can make some plays that flat out colts and and makes that Colton Case can't make, make some throws that those guys can't. But at the same time, I also want to know what's going on with the offensive line because I don't want to just throw them out there to, you know, for the Wolves to be on them after, you know, two seconds after every snap, number one. And number two, where where is this team? You know, say say you start off 
with Case, and and it's a replica of last season where he's not exactly lighting the world on fire, but because he's not turning over the ball, you're six and three. Um, at that point, I don't want to rock the boat by bringing in a rookie if they're right. winning at that point. So it, I think where the team stands as far as record-wise and how that line is protecting, I think all of that stuff also comes in play because, uh, quite honestly, um, not having Trent Williams has sent ripple ripples throughout not just the line but throughout the entire team as far as how they prepare and what they can do in practice and all this. So um, it's 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 going to be interesting. It's it's not a simple thing. And if it's going to be one of these, um, you know, say if it's Donald Penn who they picked up, you know, he's a 12-year veteran, um, but he was on the street. Or if they go with Jaron Christian, who is a second-year, uh, he's second third-round draft pick last year, but he only played two games and still had a lot of developing to do. Um, it kind of depends on what's happening on that corner before I, before I want to send out my franchise out there because we know how things get once the bullets become live. Okay. All right, so now this is the most unfair question after watching a guy in uh, a couple weeks of camp and rookie camp and OTAs and everything else. I liked Dwayne Haskins covering him at Ohio State. I thought he was a guy who could be a franchise quarterback. I thought you had to make uh, you had to count account for the fact that he wasn't going to be very mobile. He was more of an old school drop back passer. But I thought he was smart. I thought he had good touch. I thought he had a good arm. I thought he was a good leader. I liked Dwayne Haskins' profile as an NFL quarterback. From what you've seen so far, what do you think ten years from now? I see how unfair this is. What do you think <laughs> Dwayne Haskins? Will be ten years from now. Is he a? Is he an All Pro? You can win a Super Bowl with this guy. Is he like a steady starter? Is he? Is there a world where maybe he could be a miss? Just from what you've seen, what's your gut feeling on what the Dwayne Haskins career with the Redskins is going to look like? From watching maybe two months of Dwayne Haskins um, practicing, I would think that he would at least be a solid starter. Um, with the ability to have for much more. Um, but again, you know, so much of quarterback play depends on everything else around him. And, you know, just from recent history, this Washington franchise has, has not um, done the best job of building everything else around their recent quarterbacks. Um, I'm not saying that that won't change and they're not on a better path now, but if they get stuck in a similar situation where RG3 was or, you know, they couldn't figure out how to work things out um, money-wise with Kirk, with Kirk Cousins. And so um, you just saw, you know, we we're just talking about the last two guys who were supposed to be the guy. Um, they're not here anymore. So you never know how much things can change. But from a pure, pure talent standpoint, I think at minimum he should be, um, you know, a solid starter uh, and and if things go right and he's put in the right position and, and he gets some playmakers around him and all those other things that kind of go into becoming a, you know, a pro bowl quarterback or a extremely successful quarterback, uh, I think it depends on those, those other things, but he's got all the tools, all the tools are there uh, for him to be a major player in this league. It just depends on how all the, um, you know, all those things that we can't account for right now, how those things shake out. 
Kareem that was Copeland. The answer wasn't it. <laughs> well, no. Well, listen, man. It's like he, he hasn't even played a preseason game yet, and I'm saying like, what's he going to look like in 2029? So it's okay to give a PC answer. I, I'm curious because I would think Kareem that if you thought, I don't know about this guy, that could show up in the first couple of weeks. Like if if there was oh, yeah, some absolutely. feeling there's, of like we missed none of that. Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. There's 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 been none of that. There's been no questions about holy crap, what did they see? Because we are not seeing it. It, it. There's there's been none of that. It's just been he looks like a rookie who's got a ton to learn. But he had a day the other day. Like he's he had one day of practice. I want to say last week, late last week, that I think was the best day that maybe any of the quarterbacks have had throughout camp. Okay. Uh, but you know, it, it's about stacking them and being consistent and and he and he hasn't been consistent at all but that one day he was making throws he looked he, he, it was everything that you'd heard and, and expected and and he was running around happy it was it was, it was he was letting it loose that day and I think that might have been the best overall day um of any of the quarterbacks but again um you know that's that's what happens with rookies you know they flash and you're like oh see that's what we were talking about and then they regress and they look lost again. So, uh, but there's there's been none of that 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 you say, oh my gosh, this is just not the guy that yeah. um, we expected to show up. That that hasn't been an issue at all. He's Kareem Copeland. He's the Washington Redskins beat writer for the Washington Post. If you are someone out there who cares about the uh, career of Dwayne Haskins going forward, make sure you are following and reading Kareem. Kareem, thanks so much for your time. We'll see you Thursday night. And uh, hopefully if this works out for Dwayne, we'll check in with you again down the road. So thanks to uh, Kareem for taking time out of a very busy schedule to uh, join us for that. Uh, By the way, Tuesday, um, Jake Rudin said, he still didn't give much of a hint. He said all three quarterbacks are going to play Thursday night. He didn't say how they're going to do it. So I think you can expect to see Dwayne Haskins in some capacity on Thursday. What can you see from the Browns? Jake Burns and I talked about that uh, after practice on Monday. This one's out in the uh, out in the well of the wilderness of Berea. It's actually on a bench, on a bench right outside the media room. Um, so if there's a little wind, a little natural sound, that's what it is. But uh, let's break down what we're expecting Thursday night. Get ready for the Browns' preseason opener with Jake Burns on Takes by the Lake. All right, actually in Berea right now with Jakey Jakey Burns talking about uh, the upcoming preseason game on Thursday night. We're doing this after practice on Monday. What do you want to see most? Number one thing you're curious for Thursday. Oh, man, that's a good question. I just It's actually to... a bad question because it puts all the pressure on you. <laughs> it, it doesn't. I don't have to have an opinion or any knowledge. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there and making you do the work. Do work. Yeah, I think we should presume that we're not going to see much of the starters in terms of like Baker, Odell, those guys, especially game one. Those guys tend to be like game three of the preseason. You see a lot of those guys. So I would be surprised if they see more than a series or if they don't dress. I wouldn't be surprised by that either. So answer your question. I want to see what the heck's going on at right guard. They need to still figure that out. Freddie Kitchens again mentions today they want somebody to stand out. There was a trend there that I think he wanted to talk about, which was Eric Cush got his first multiple straight days at the position. Didn't talk about it. So... I think that we will pay close attention to how many series Eric Cush plays at right guard. Then once Austin Corbett comes in, how well do they play at right? How well does Austin play at right guard? And then if they are going to bring in Witzman instead of Kalis, because they seem to have plugged Brian Witzman into that position and kind of moved on from Kalis to right guard. And then I want to see sort of what uh, Steve Wilkes' 4-2-5 framework looks like. I think I saw a lot of it, the Orange and Brown scrimmage, but I want to see how he moves his defensive backs, sort of just a little bit of the structure of what they're going to use this year. 
I think that's a good answer, and that's it for takes of uh, takes by the lake from Cleveland.com. That was good enough. Here's the thing, right? So uh, I feel because uh, uh, things could change before Thursday because you guys are listening to this, you know, after we talked about it because you couldn't listen to it before we talked about it. But it's only Monday. Who knows what's going to change on Tuesday and Wednesday? The right guard thing, though, like everybody was talking about that in OTAs, right? Like or whatever the first things are, the mini camp. Like the first day of minicamp, we were over there. You and I talked about it the first day because like, we were like, Corbett's not with the ones all the time. I oh, saw Kalis, and I ended up writing about Kalis because we are like, why the heck is he playing with the first team? We couldn't figure it out. We talked about it before anyone else, and then we got yelled at before anyone else. Yeah, and then people were like, I don't know why everyone's talking about who the starters are going to be. And it's like, because you're putting people in practice that you think are going to play later. I think... At this point, this is a completely appropriate time for a minor version of a freakout that they have no idea who one of their starting offensive linemen is going to be. Are we is that okay to be freaking out at this point? I don't know. If, yeah, I mean, like freaking out in terms of it's an unsettled position. They they have all kind of off season mentioned that uh, you know Austin's going to get a shot at it. They expect him to be able to do it, and then you like get into practical application, and it still hasn't manifested any clear front runner. I think Eric Cush is the front runner. Um, there are parts of his game, especially pass protection, that he's better at than than others. But like in this situation, you want somebody to take that position, and nobody, whether it's offensive line coach James Campen or Freddie Kitchens, have said, or even the players that we've interviewed have said, like this is the guy, at right guard, and you need to have that guy because you can't rotate guards. So like series by series, you just can't do that. Like you have to find one of them and stick with them unless it's just going terribly wrong. So I will put on record right now, Doug Maurice, that I am going to say Eric Cush is your right guard week one. When will they decide that? When do you think they they have to have it decided by like the third preseason yeah. game preseason game at the latest, but wouldn't they like to maybe have it decided even before that? I would I'm sure they would. I would expect after the, the third preseason game there would be uh, some sort of decision on that one. I would like because that's when the first team plays. Traditionally, teams have the um, you know the third team, the third preseason game. That's when most usually like a quarter. They call that the real tune-up game for the for week one. They don't play a ton of time in the uh, fourth game. So like that third game, you want to play both of them. I'm 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 saying both of them, presuming that it's Corbett or Cush, and then at that point they'll make that decision. But it could come sooner. Like if if. If uh, if Corbett can't get it together, like I thought he had a really bad orange and brown scrimmage Saturday at the stadium, I like watched it over and over again. I just didn't think he was very good. And if he continues to be not very good, they're going to by default have to play Kush there and sort of name him the starter going into. I would think they could, but they could name him before. But I, I would expect after the third game at the absolute latest. So when you watched it, how was he bad? Is he? Is he, does he have bad technique? Is he mentally deficient in what he's supposed to do? Does he just like get run over by dudes because he's not strong enough? What's he screwing up? I don't think he is mentally deficient. I think he's, he knows where he's supposed to go and when he's supposed to go there, but I'm not sure that he trusts himself inside. I think people forget that he was a tackle and he moved inside to guard, and people logically think, well, if a guy was a tackle, he can be a guard. Well, that's not true. That's two completely different positions, and the, the, the sort of drop you have to take and pass protection is different, and the responsibilities pulling down the line or gap blocking and run game are totally different. And what I noticed from him is that he likes to sort of lean. What I mean by lean is like get your top half on somebody but not bring your leg 
legs with you, and that t- sort of creates an off-balance feeling, and then defensive linemen feel that lean. They'll swim move or they'll push you and pull you and get, be able to, to alter your, your, your current state. So they'll, if your base isn't good, you're leaning too much and burying your head into people, it will happen that you will get beat. And I noticed that Saturday with Corbett, got beat on a swim move by Carl Davis, and I kept thinking to myself, week three, Carl Davis is not Aaron Donald. And that's not going to work. So, like, he's got to figure out how he can bring the total package, which is he knows where to go. He knows how to get there. It's how does he finish things when he gets there. You want your lineman, too, to, like, have a little bit of a mean streak. And if, you, if you've if you talked to Austin Corbett or watched him talk, it's like it's got that teddy bear sort of feel about him. And you don't feel that nastiness that interior linemen need. And that sort of uh, manifests itself on the field when he, he doesn't finish blocks and he doesn't have that sort of mentality of I need to have all. I think Greg Robinson talked about this 10 toes on the ground engaged 10 toes down like in a good balance and i think that he struggles with that technique right now and it's causing him some issues we can't uh one pick does not a gm make but this is i think it would be fair to say that like this is kind of a miss already that if you're this guy was the first pick in the second round for a team that had a lot of issues they john dorsey could have taken anyone he could have taken anyone, but you did see, hey, our 10-year all-pro left tackle just retired. Maybe that would be a thing to do. And there are people that he could have drafted there who are now starting at tackle in the NFL that he did not. This is, I don't think it's going to ruin their season. It's disappointing. Like, this is a, Chubb's a hit. Three picks later, Chubb's a hit. Um, but this is the kind of miss when you're trying to be good that you feel. Yeah, yeah, it's like you need to always play the projection game and the Brown I get where the Browns were at that point. They said, "We need a tackle. If this kid who played a ton of tackle, left tackle at Nevada, can't play tackle, we'll move him inside and sort of play the down the line game." They wanted him to be that sort of natural replacement if they wanted to move on from Kevin Zeitler's contract. Now, Luckily for the Browns, their situation netted them through Kevin Zeitler's contract. He was a big part of a trade to bring back two important pieces. So it's like they, this is, but this is Doug. What they have to do with great franchises or the teams that consistently win is they're always thinking like two chess moves ahead. You know, if if Corbett isn't going to be a tackle, he's going to be a guard, and this is why it makes sense for him to be here because he can then se- second year step in for either uh, center or guard, whoever we decide to sort of maybe part with in a trade that brings us something back positive. But he has to be good. Like that's the important part is he has to be worth the pick so i don't blame the browns from a standpoint of how they 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 viewed that pick but i do think they missed on the evaluation so far of the player so like the thought process was good but the finishing part of it which is the scout john dorsey coming together the player was a miss so far and i don't think that you can say it was it's too early like he could finish out and have a good career but as of right now as we sit here in august 5th it's not. It's not hitting. It's not. He's not a good player, and he's not good enough to play yet on Sundays. I I remember, and I know there were a couple. I'm right about this. There, there were a couple guys that they could have taken who were more tackly tackles mm-hmm. uh, at that point in the first pick in in round two two uh, two years ago. But I remember when Greedy Williams was sort of sitting there, and the Browns had traded back, and they, or they didn't trade back, but they didn't have the the pick because they traded the first rounder for Odell Beckham, and. You know, your second rounder becomes your first rounder. I was looking at all the tackles, right? And um, there were, uh, I think, if I remember right, there were about four guys that I thought, it's not my evaluation, it's my stealing everybody else's evaluations, that seemed like reasonable tackle options in the first half of round two this year. And I think by the time they got to Greedy at 37, they were all gone. And maybe Greedy would have been the right choice anyway. But it's just, to me, 
I understand what you're saying of like, hey, we'll take a tackle. If he can't play tackle, he can play guard. I don't think it's unreasonable to say with the first pick in the second round, we're going to find a starting offensive tackle in the NFL. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah, I mean, they have to view it that way. I think that, you know, you try to put, when you view these picks and how they make these picks and why they make these picks, you try to put yourself in their shoes. I mean, it's easy year, two years later to say this was the wrong pick, but like at the time, you got to sort of think through their thought process. So this year, right, Doug, I would have said that they had at that point figured, um, you mentioned some guys who were off the board that you liked at offensive tackle. Um, I would agree with that. I didn't know that there was an offensive tackle that I would have felt comfortable taking there that wasn't either a reach or, um, you know, like you said, was available. So they take Greedy Williams, but it's like I think their thought process was Austin Corbett can be the guard. We have Greg Robinson, who we believe in for another year. At this spot, would we rather take a starting corner or would we rather get a projectable down the line tackle? And it's like, okay, a starting corner probably makes sense. But you got, they auto, they, you know, they didn't end up taking a tackle until Drew Forbes, I think in the sixth round there. So they, there's, there's a level to this completed project that they have to figure out over the next few years, which is there are a lot of question marks. Three of the five offensive line positions are question marks going forward. And I think that's res- with respect to Greg and with respect to Chris Hubbard at, at right tackle that they have to figure out where, what those things look like in front of Baker Mayfield for the next three years. And I think that's something they're probably turning their minds about in the front office. And they're probably going to be checking the waiver wire as things shake out or any trades that could happen. That sort of stuff is all out there. Uh, but, yeah, I think the big picture need is they're going to need some help on the offensive line down the line, and they're banking on James Camp and being able to help these guys become this sort of finished uh, finished product. Because James Camp had a lot of success in Green Bay taking guys like David Bakhtiari and turning those late-round picks, even J.C. Treader at the time, Green Bay Packer when he was drafted, turning those guys into good players. So they loved being able to bring James Camp in, let that process sort of play out, see what you have this year, and then, you know, evaluate it again next year when when some, some cap situation opens up. I do think, to me, even if Corbett turns into a good guard, I still think that's a miss at the top of the second round because I think in terms of position importance for John Dorsey, and again, who's arguing with Nick Chubb? Nobody's arguing with Nick Chubb. But when you have two of the first four picks in the second round and you go guard, running back, I think on the list of things, we've there are interior linemen all over this league who were picked in the middle rounds. Yeah. There are running backs all over this league who were picked in the middle rounds. And I get it. Some, some teams reach for first-round running backs and all that stuff. But just at that time when you're building a team – and you're building a roster, and we saw how then they started moving pieces around, and you know you end up trading a safety and a guard to get a defensive end and a receiver uh, with Olivier Vernon and Odell Beckham. But if you're going to take a guard and a running back at the top of the second round, you could have taken a, a pass rusher and another corner there, or you could have taken a pat. You know what I mean? Like you take taken a pass rusher and a receiver. You could yeah. you could have done something that I. There's a point that, and on the day it happened, it was like okay, if you're taking Austin Corbett. With the first pick in the second round, he's a tackle, right? Yeah. And it was like, well, yeah, we'll look at him a tackle because it just didn't, it doesn't make sense. I get it. Quentin Nelson's Quentin Nelson. He was the sixth pick in the draft, and he's the best guard anybody like ever Willie, saw. Willie Hernandez, who plays for the Giants, who's probably going to, he was a guard at UTEP. Is, it, it, those guys who have, have played guard and know how to work with somebody to their right and their left, because that's the biggest difference is that a tackle, you don't have anybody to your left if you're a left tackle or anybody to your right if you're a right tackle. Inside, you have to be able to understand how people work to your left and how people work to your right and how the big picture comes together. So it's not guaranteed, but like I don't think 
they were making that pick with the idea or the guarantee that at least I, I would find that line of thinking faulty, Doug. If they made that pick at the top of the second round with the idea, well, this guy will just be a guard someday at the word, th- then they shouldn't have made that pick. Yeah. Like, he should have been a tackle or nothing. Like, I agree. In the, like a last ditch effort is okay. Well, he can't be a tackle, so we'll decide to move him. Like they didn't even give him a chance to tackle. He was a guard in the first preseason game last year, and they had every intention of going into week one with him starting as a guard and bumping their all pro guard to tackle. So like there was a level to this whole thing that it's like I think sometimes GMs or scouts will will, will get a player on the field the first 5 6 7 times they can see them and they'll they'll openly I've heard stories of this where they'll just say we missed. We didn't we didn't do well with this. And I think there's a little bit of that going on with Austin Corbett. You noticed it in position drills where it's like the other players around him treat him a little bit differently than you would expect a second-year guy or who's, who at the time we were reviewing it was like in position to be the starting guard. It's like there are just some things that don't make you feel good about that pick. But they missed, and misses are going to happen. So they have to find a way to solve that position. Um, I think they feel okay about Eric Cush. Uh, to sort of bring it full circle back to where we are right now. And if they don't, some people have asked me about playing the waiver wire. It's like, I don't, I don't think the only way you bring somebody else in at right guard right now is if they're better, a significant upgrade to Eric Cush. Because Cush is to me like the baseline, like the baseline of where that position is. You know, you're going to get probably average play, a potentially below average, but it's not going to be a disaster. So you have to be able to, if you're going to bring somebody in, upgrade there. Because otherwise, you're then saying, um, you're probably pushing Corbett off the roster, which I don't think they're ready to give him up yet. So it's like, don't bring in another average player off the waiver wire. Go get somebody if you want somebody that's good enough to be um, a starting guard for you. Otherwise, just go with Cush and then hope that Corbett in Campen's system and processing and teachings gets better. That's that's just kind of where they have to think of it right now. And it feels like they've already sort of played like the waiver wire game with the offensive line in the offseason. Because you bring in Cush, you, Cush, you bring in Witzman, you bring in Kendall Lamb. These are three guys who all have started in their NFL career. So it's like they brought in sort of this subset of dudes who you're thinking about as like your second-tier offensive lineman, and it just so happens at the moment, it seems like one of them is going to have to start. Um, And I don't want to belabor, but but again, part of this is this is the price of being good. And here we are, we just are having like a 15-minute conversation about the right guard spot because – Receiver's good, running back's good, quarterback's good, cornerback is good, safety is good, defensive line is awesome. Like this is, but this is the stuff that matters. When you're this good, this is the stuff that matters. Yeah, every team, every team, every good team has has holes. I mean, if you look at the look at the Rams, they lost Roger Saffold in the middle. They have questions at. And along their interior offensive line, if you look at the Chiefs, there's still a threat of starting Cam Irving, and they let go of a lot of defensive end talent. So, like, there are every good team you look at. They're going to have the, the Steelers have terrible situation at corner. Like it's a, everybody you talk about. The 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 Ravens have issues along. They lost uh, their their linebacker situation and their edge of their of their three four defense is just kind of like who are these guys? We don't know these guys. It's the same thing we're doing here with right guard. So it's like every franchise has these holes. This is not an uncommon thing. But like you pointed out. This is the first time in 20 years that you've been able to say quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. They're all figured out. You feel great about your offense. It's just kind of like figure out right guard. And I've said it all year, play, be the 15th best offensive line in the league. That's all you need to be. That's all you need to be. And I think they can be good enough to put up enough points to win a majority of their football games. Let's get back to the last thing we'll deal with, uh, which is the 425, which is what you wrote about, uh, very nicely at Cleveland.com the other day. Um, TJ Carey is such a 
a pivot point of that four two five, and I, I didn't anticipate this, but the idea that he seems like he's going to be the nickel corner when they have three corners in, but then when they only have two corners in and they're either playing three linebackers or playing a third safety with Jermaine Whitehead in as that third safety, TJ Carey's still in the field as one of the two outside corners. You're basically playing two positions, and so that they're, if that's where they end up leaning that when there are two corners, it's Denzel Ward, and it's but it's not Greedy Williams, it's not Terrence Mitchell, it's T.J. Carey, and then slot corners. We know how important slot corners are in this league, with how often teams try to get mismatches in the slot. That dude, that dude is probably. I mean, he's one of the ten most important people on this roster. All of a sudden, I guess if he went down or it went wrong, okay, they have Greedy and they have Terrence Mitchell there ready to go. But like when he's on the field, they are relying on him to be really good because he's going to be on the field basically in every single defensive look they have as they have multiple people, multiple looks, multiple guys moving in and out. TJ Carey is not going anywhere, right? Like that yeah. dude is that dude is a is an an absolute huge brown. I think what it tells me when I viewed that because I've I've viewed the very same thing you have with, um, you know they're they're plucking one of their outside corners and taking him out when they bring in those air quotes big nickel situations, um, and uh, yeah I think what it tells me is that they view T.J. Carey as one of the f- five six most important players on their defense. They trust his skill set. They trust his ability because, like you said, going from outside and going to inside is a very big challenge because it's a different line of thinking. When you play outside, you have the sideline to help you. They call the sideline your friend. You can force players that direction. It's 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 like another defender. It's like an outside defender I always have to my friend. When you're inside, there's always what's called a two-way go. Somebody could come toward you, cut inside, cut outside, and you always have to be able to really mirror people very, people very well, whether it's a slot tight end or a slot wide receiver or whatever. Um, the Browns will match it up personnel-wise, and Kerry is a better interior defender, in my opinion. He had some issues outside, but they must think he still presents them with the best uh, you know, coverage defender when he aligns uh, outside. Otherwise, you would just allow him to only play. But it seems like they say, we think TJ Kerry is one of our better defensive backs. We want him on the field. 80% of the time, if not more. We want to be able to trust uh, this outside corner when we bring in a, a third safety, and this is the guy who we trust the most, so that's who we're going to play. And I think that you're right You're right on when you say that they, they view him as one of their most important players. And I don't think that's getting talked about enough is – they don't want him off the field. That you know, typically your slot corner will take him off the field. Well, this is a guy they want on the field all the time. And you talk about him as somebody, one of the few rare few, like Denzel, Miles, Olivier, probably one of those defensive tackles, Sheldon Richardson, and then Demarius, Demarius Randall, and then it's like TJ Carey. Like yeah. those are your five or six guys that we say we want that guy on the field every single play. And if not, those other four, you say, well, we can rotate those guys in and out based on packages. But yeah, this four-two-five is going to essentially be five defensive backs almost all the time. They're going to try to match up better. Greg Williams played three linebackers, a league leading 66% of the time. And it's just an asinine approach anymore because it just, you, you don't play teams that play two linebackers or two tight ends in the fullback that often. So you need better athletes on the field. It's really not rocket science it's we're going to put better athletes on the field a hybrid player who can play in the box and play the run but can also be an athlete to get out and run in space better than jamie collins and nothing against jamie collins he's he's an athletic guy he just can't cover fast wide receivers like i wouldn't expect i don't expect jamie collins to be able to do that so putting him in that situation is not an indictment of jamie collins it's an indictment of your 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 coach using the personnel at their disposal so Yes, TJ Carey will be in the slot. Yes, Jermaine Whitehead will be in the slot. Eric Murray will be in the slot. Those guys are better coverage defenders 
than Jamie Collins and Christian Kirksey. It's just basic math. So um, I think they really view that position to be vital. They'll play it with a big nickel. They'll play it with a traditional nickel, which says in passing. And then they'll play dime, too, which is one linebacker and four uh, flat uh, cornerbacks and two safeties. So there's a whole bunch of – defense is so hard to peg down. I try to do depth charts, and it's like they could line up six different ways in one – it just depends on the down and distance, and it's really hard to peg down. So you try to look at where players play, and I think you're spot on that TJ Carey is an extremely vital part of what they will do, and he will be on the field. I would – Barring injury, 90, 90% of the snaps will be on the field this year. I think if you were a rapper, Big Nickel would be a good name for you. I think Big Nickel would be spot on. I feel like I feel Jake Big Nickel Burns. Kind of all rules off the tongue. Yeah. yeah. Okay, last thing I want to cover, and this is just, we're trying to help you watch the game on Thursday night. Again, it's like every time I try to come up with an idea, it's like, well, Jake already wrote about this, because Jake writes about everything important about the Browns, and he breaks everything down with X's nose. So... What they're going to ask Schobert and Kirksey... Sorry for writing, Doug. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for providing information. What they're going to ask Schobert and Kirksey to do, and you and I talked about this before I talked to Joe Schobert about it about it during minicamp, and then I wrote it right before this camp starts, just the idea of the times that you, last year you saw Joe Schobert trying to run down the middle of the field and run with somebody, and they're not going to ask these linebackers to do that as much. And we've talked, everyone's talked a lot about the missed tackles. I'm looking for an idea of what percent of the missed tackles with the linebackers was them being asked to be in positions which put them in spots to miss tackles. And if their assignments are simplified, their coverage, we know Schobert's a good cover guy, but if some of what they're asked to do can contribute to them being more sure of themselves and aggressive, moving forward and making tackles, I'm wondering if how much the scheme itself will help the Browns be better tacklers. And again, as you said, we're not going to necessarily see a ton of starters in the first two preseason games, but tackling was, is what people are going to look for. And just with what Steve Wilkes wants to do, should that framework make the tackling better on its own, in addition to all the, hey, they're working on it and they got in some new dudes. Yeah, no, I think I think what's interesting specifically you talked about, Schobert, is he, he's going to be – I tried to highlight this in just the piece I wrote a couple – or maybe even a week ago or less than that about his propensity to force fumbles. And sort of I highlighted the difficulties in what the, the defense with Greg Williams – this isn't like a bass Greg Williams thing. Like I think Greg Williams is a fine defensive coordinator, but he does some unorthodox things. And one of those unorthodox things is having his line – linebacker line up seven yards deep occasionally and play what's called deep middle in Tampa 2 coverage. Like Monty Kiffin developed this this defense with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had this guy named Derek Brooks who could run down the middle of the field like a gazelle but also be able to play rangy sideline to sideline defense. He's a Hall of Famer. And they would run him to the deep middle. So cover two, you have two safeties who cover the deep halves of the field. Anytime you hear cover four, cover two, cover three, it's who's covering the deep half of the field, the deep portions of the field. So in cover two, you have two safeties who sort of you know, create this natural split in the middle of the field is typically kind of open for attacking if you catch teams playing cover two. Well, the, the, the Tampa two, I'm doing air quotes, is they run a Mike linebacker to the deep middle to take away seam routes, things like that from the tight end. But what that does is it puts a really tough burden on somebody like Schobert to play the run at the same time he's lined up seven yards deep. When you're seven yards deep, Offensive linemen have a, a, a wider path to be able to cut you off, block you downfield, and it makes your tackles less significant because you're not going to get tackles behind the line of scrimmage seven yards off the ball. So 
I think moving him closer, allowing him to not necessarily play true middle, but play a half of the line, because when you have a 4-2-5, you have a Mike linebacker, which is a middle linebacker, but he's not lined up straight down the middle every single time. He's got his half. The Will typically has his half, which is Christian Kirksey. And it just, I think the defense gears them toward having to do less sideline to sideline and just, and just playing what's called run fits. I have the B gap. I have the C gap. I have contain. All of those things, they call them a force player. I think it just simplifies what they're looking for. Now, on the flip side of that, Doug, I do expect him to possibly have a regression in pass coverage numbers just because he's going to be a heavier part of what they do run stopping. And um, in that sort of, like, Joe had a really good year last year coverage-wise, but the year before that wasn't very good. So, like, I think as things shift here, he could have a regression in terms of pass coverage numbers, like he was the second highest-graded pro football-focused linebacker in coverage, off-ball linebacker in coverage behind only... um Seattle's Bobby Wagner, who's just an all-world middle linebacker. So, like, I think he's going to probably see a little aggression there, but I think he'll be a bigger impact player in the run game. He'll have less weird angles, and, like, people think missed tackles are just, like, squaring up and missing a guy. Usually it's not. Usually it's like a, you take a poor angle, and you don't get your head out in front of somebody in an angle, and then you, you're just using your arms, and you're not tackling them, or you're trying to pursue somebody, and you over-pursue, and they cut back, and you don't have your arms, or unable to bring a guy down. Like, missed tackles are not always like Oklahoma drill, where you get up and try to run into each other, and you run over him. Like, that's not what's happening to Joe. It's typically poor angles, or he's he's so deep that when uh, pre-snap, he, he has a tough time being able to come up and defeat blocks from linemen who are 300-pounders who are working with five, six yards of momentum coming right at him. So simplify the burden between run-pass conflict, allow him to play run first, then work to the pass, and I think you're going to see a different type of player. He's still going to have the great skill set and coverage. I think that that is a fluid part of him as an athlete. I think he'll be fine in the middle of the field. And he's still going to do things like I wrote about creating turnovers. He's got a keen knack for being able to punch the football. He's got the most forced fumbles created from off-ball linebackers in the past two years in the entire league. That means something. They want to create turnovers. It's a big part of his game. So I think it will help. I think the scheme in general will allow their linebackers to be less burdened. And I do, I don't mean to knock Blake Williams, but I think they're just going to get better coaching. Like, I just think that Al Holcomb is a much better uh, understander of, of, of understander. I made that up. Understander of his scheme uh, that he brought with him with Wilkes. I think they're going to have better coaching in terms of uh, you know tendencies, things defenses are doing, and I just think they're going to all feel a little bit more comfortable in, in what they're asked to do, and they'll bring those young guys along slowly. You don't have to force those guys. So linebacker play should be improved. There's no reason for that not to be an improved group this year. Bob Wiley has opened the door for knocking of all previous Browns assistant coaches. So you're in the clear on that one, brother. All right. That's what you're watching. So we're watching TJ on defense. Watch TJ Carey and the two linebackers on offense. Watch what's happening at right guard. Again, we don't know how much the first team guys are going to be in there, but especially that right guard battle. There is no starter. So no matter who you're watching, he could be important because he might end up playing a lot watch, when it really matters. Watch those two linebackers. I mean, you're going to get a feel for the Browns drafted those guys with intentions of someday playing here in Cleveland. And uh, both of them, I think, Doug, have had pretty strong camps in terms of young guys showing flashes. Um, you know, Taki Taki's got to slow down. Make He has a little bit of pursuit angle issues. People talk about Mac Wilson's coverage as being one of his best parts of his game. So pay attention. If you don't even get to watch Joe and, and Christian Kirksey play a ton, you know, try to pay attention to how those young linebackers are playing, if they're making an impact, and if they seem to be playing fast. Less thinking, playing fast. And that was Jakey Jakey Burns making sure he got in a point about Taki Taki before the end of this podcast episode. Uh, we'll be back right after this on Takes by the Lake. We appreciate Jake. We appreciate you guys listening. Browns, first preseason game Thursday night against the Redskins.
And that'll do it for this episode of Takes by the Lake. Man, I was popping some peas on that interview with Jake. Sorry about that. I had the phone up next to my mouth. Um, get subscribed. Get subscribed. Get subscribed. Get us back in your lives. We're sorry we missed last week. I, eh, we'll get there. We're going to be every week. I think we're going to be every Tuesday. We're going to settle in. But definitely, um, yeah, you know what? We are going to be every Tuesday. Definitely during the year. You want to listen to this because it's going to be really important to listen about the Browns, some Indians, uh, stuff that matters to you guys. We're going to get back to having big uh, national guests. I've got some people lined up that I've been in touch with who have agreed to do it. Uh, We just have to work out times for them to be on. So it's going to be back to what we do here. So we appreciate you guys. Drop some iTunes reviews because I think we've upgraded the sound quality a little bit. And the most recent review is from February because we took like a seven-month break. And it was about how bad the sound quality was on the interviews. And I think that has greatly improved. Um, so I mean, maybe get rid of the P-pop and then we might be there. So takes by the lake. Tell your friends. Even if you're not friends with someone, just go up and accost them verbally and say, listen to takes by the lake. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Maurice. Read my stuff in the in the uh, the the webs. You can read me in the Plain Dealer on Sundays at least a lot, uh, and read me on Cleveland.com because that's how I make money and that's how uh, I feed my family. So, thanks to Jake, thanks to Kareem, thanks as always for you guys for coming back for takes by the lake. We will be writing and talking about the first Browns preseason game on Thursday, and then we will see you next week. Um, what was my sign off? I have a sign off that I say. Oh, here's what I say. That's Takes by the Lake. I'm so bad at this. And we'll talk to you next time.